Well, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, a reading of verses 24 down to verse 34. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or money. That's what that word means. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God shall never pass away. It endures forever. Blessed be to God. Well, as uh, we continue in the study of the means of grace, and we are talking about uh, those uh, ordinances that God has set in place in order to communicate to us or extend and set upon us in our lives the benefits of Christ's salvation. God has given these very specific ordinances to build you up in Christ and to teach your heart to exercise faith in Christ, to walk in faith in Christ in all of these ways. And as we every now and then uh, have that uh, clarity of what those chief means of grace are, it is the Word of God read and preached, it is the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper administered uh, properly, and as well, prayer. And prayer gets the greatest focus in our catechisms, both the larger and shorter catechism. And why? Because, as noted before, this is our lifeline and our communion with God. This is something that we experience not only collectively here on the Lord's Day, this is something we take with us every day of the week. And indeed, we hear the exhortations of Scripture that we are to be praying without ceasing and you ever wonder and stop and look to your own life and to say, does that define my life? Am I such a one that 
uh, understanding the means of grace and understanding the need of prayer to receive the benefits of Christ's salvation, what it is to pray without ceasing. And that's why we are spending uh, the time to look at the Lord's Prayer. It is a model prayer that teaches us how to pray without ceasing, how to give our lives over to prayer in, uh, in looking to God for His blessings. And we've already looked at those first three petitions that have focused on God, hallow His name, uh, God thy kingdom come, God thy will be done. We now come to those petitions that deal with our particular needs. And in three petitions, all of our needs are expressed. Isn't that amazing? How each of those petitions look to all the necessities of our lives as God's people. Daily bread, mercy, protection. What do we need beyond those things? What is there to need beyond those things? And particularly with this one, give us this day our daily bread. It is something that teaches us how to be dependent upon God and His grace in all things. Give us this day our daily bread. It is something that extends more than just saying that blessing two or three times a day, however many times you sit down at the meal table and you look and see the food that you have to eat and you say, God, bless this food to the nourishment of my body. It is far beyond all of that. It is dealing with what we need in life to be sustained all the days of our life, what we need both physically and spiritually. It isn't just focused on that meal, uh, though that tends to be what we think of the most. Think of, if you will, uh, the inalienable rights of humanity. Uh, We don't necessarily have it uh, ascribed in our constitutions and uh, charter of rights as clearly as the United States does, but we understand those inalienable rights of humanity, life, liberty, happiness. And, And in the realm of civil society and civil justice, those are reasonable expectations. That when we are dealing man to man, human to human, when we are dealing with relationships with one another, the right of life, the right of freedom, uh, the right of happiness within the civil realm is, is there justly for us to give and to receive. Uh, but, and, and I want to say they are even reasonable expectations that God's moral law respects when you come to those last six commandments. But in our relationship with God, this is why this prayer becomes more than just about physical bread. In our relationship with God, we need to understand those rights have been forfeited. Sin has robbed us 
from expectation of those things from God. We do not have a right to reasonably expect life and liberty and happiness. Sin and original sin has brought that curse of death upon us all. And it has brought the corruption of sin into our lives. We understand particularly as Christians that that we are born children of wrath in rebellion against God, Ephesians 1, uh, sorry, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And thus, because of, of our sinfulness, we have no rights that God is justly required to respect. And you know how many people have that expectation of God. I deserve, I touched on it this morning, but especially here this evening when we look, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It is not a demand to God. It is a request. And it is a request that is rooted in grace. Not in reasonable requirement. And we need to, we need to have our mind framed that way. Again, what is it that you think you deserve from God? We're going to touch on that. What does God owe us? And and if we do not come to God with that frame of mind and understanding that we deserve nothing from His hand, that all that we receive from Him is of grace, then we don't have the right frame of mind in praying this prayer. It does become more in the realm of demand than it does of reliance upon grace. That brings us to another thought that I wanted to just quickly deal with as well before we get into our points. And that is this, that you often hear in the secular realm, the Lord helps those who help themselves. And you will hear that even within Christian circles sometimes when we get a little fed up helping people who don't help themselves. (laughs) Well, that phrase, the Lord helps those who help themselves, may be true in respect to the inherent laziness that is in us. But that saying is more of a a damning characteristic of our fallen uh, nature than it is, again, an expectation of God. It turns us away, again, from understanding grace that is ready to meet us and making what we receive from God dependent upon us. Now, it is true, God in Proverbs 6 tells us we need to go to the ant because we're sluggards. In fact, He says that unconditionally. You sluggard, go to the ant. You lazy people, look at nature, look at this little creature that I made. See and consider their ways and be wise. They gather, they work, they know winter is coming. They won't be able to find food, so they're working. And God blesses them. 
And if you don't believe God blesses them, just consider in spring when the thaw comes and the ants come out and there's no food on the ground, where do they go? Into your cupboards. <laughs> and you see that, don't you? They're industrious. God does expect ind- industry from us. God does expect us to work. But that's not a condition of Him giving what we think we deserve from the work of our hands. We still yet live in corruption. We still yet live in a sinful world. We still yet live under the curse. And for all our toil, for all our labor, sometimes it comes to nothing and we stand back and we say, God, you're supposed to give me my daily bread. I'm not saying God isn't generous. But when you understand that perspective and you come to God in this prayer, you're realizing there is nothing I deserve and everything I receive is of grace. And that's the frame that has to to guard us. The Lord helps those who help themselves is not true in context of God's grace. Grace is undeserved goodness. Undeserved goodness. The farmer, as we're going to hear, uh, well, we're going to hear a little repetition, but the farmer can go out and plant his seed and be diligent. And God can come and wipe out that crop so there's nothing. And he has done that. It's a hard thing. So this prayer means more, doesn't it? Do you understand how it encompasses so much more about our lives? Grace is undeserved goodness. Grace is distributed according to God's pleasure and will. And we do not, by its very understanding, we do not have any claim on His grace, particularly when it comes to material needs. Food, clothing, drink, a home. (laughs) What Jesus pointed out in our text. My, we give so much attention to those things in our lives, don't we? Food, drink, clothing. And yet, Jesus tells us here very poignantly, you, you, you know the Father knows you need those things. Do you see the birds and, and etc.? Do you see them having any problems? <laughs> it's a hard lesson. But it also brings us to understand when we are praying this prayer, and, and I'm just doing this so that our mind can be framed when we look at these three points very quickly. When we make this prayer, what we are understanding, not only is it rooted in God's grace, But we are understanding that we are absolutely dependent upon the kindness of God for everything. Our heart beating. Have you noticed how many people in the last decade, I've seen, I saw it at a hockey game, young people whose hearts just stop beating all of a sudden. It's frightening. We're dependent on God for every breath we have. And every time we breathe, 
we hear that psalm that says your life is but a breath. (laughs) The very issues of our life, the very issues of death, rest in the hands of God in whom we live and move and have our being. That's the sobering truth of this prayer. And that's why we are praying in earnestness, God, give us this day our daily bread. What does God owe us? That's the first consideration. And as I've already noted, our simple response can be nothing. (laughs) But even more, we understand what does God owe us? And the theological answer is justice. That's what we are. That's that's what we deserve from God. Justice. As I said, we have no rights which God is bound to respect because we are sinners. And as sinners, all we deserve from God is His wrath and punishment. And and with that thought in mind, what ought to amaze us is how faithful God has been to sustain this world from generation after generation after generation after generation. I mean, this this world should not even be here anymore. The, The capability of this world to produce season after season the food that it has to sustain the whole of the world should not be happening because we deserve God's justice. Why do I emphasize that? Because one of the great things that we struggle with, with this prayer, is contentment. We always want more. And in wanting more, what we miss is God's grace that is at work. We miss the blessings that God has given to us. It's like the old hymn. I don't know, I don't think we have it in our hymn book, but count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. And we realize when when we are owed justice and not help, what we realize is what blessing God has already extended us. Even even to the ungodly, Matthew 5, Psalm 65, Psalm 67, God speaks of His common grace being extended to the whole of the world where He provides for them with rain and sun what is necessary for the harvest to come year after year after year. And and unlike what a lot of the... uh, Uh, foolishness is uh, promoted today where people think there isn't enough food in the world. they, They produce enough food in this world to feed everyone in it. The problem isn't that there isn't enough food. The problem is the greed of men's hearts keeps it from people. Yes, there are upwards to 80,000 people a year who die of starvation. I think that's the that's the uh, current statistic. But that's not because of a lack of food. That's because of the sin of man's heart. It's not because of a lack of God's generosity. It's because of the greed 
that exists within humanity. And yet God, year after year, provides. And if God did not mercifully provide and graciously give for our earthly needs all the Uh, all the common blessings that we take for granted, our food, our clothing, our shelter, our health, it would be gone. And the death itself would be realized more fully. And the real tragedy, when we understand what God owes us, justice, and what we have yet to receive from His hand in that way... uh, The fact that so few return thanks to God simply amplifies our sinfulness. But it also amplifies, and I want to emphasize this, it amplifies the the greatness of God's patience and long-suffering with a rebellious world. God is good. (laughs) It defines goodness when you think of it in that way. God is good. And and He exercises a gracious providence in the face of rebellious humanity. We till, we plant. God sends the rain and the sun. And we have a harvest. And every now and then, God who is in control of the earth and in control of all the elements of the earth. Every now and then, God will withhold the rain or He will bring the hail or the blight or the pestilence. He will stall the growth and the harvest is limited or He will increase the greed of men's hearts and they will impose restrictions. And God will do these things in His providence to show again to us we live and move and have our being in Him, not in ourselves. The reality of being self-sustaining is a vain delusion. It is. We depend on God. We live by grace. And while God owes us nothing, He provides mercifully and graciously. And that, my friends, is why we as Christians, every time we sit down at our meal table, we look to God and we say, thank you for this food. And what does God provide for us? God and His grace is the root of all that we have. And when we understand that, what God provides for us is what we need. Did you notice in our text how many times, beginning at verse 25, Jesus says, do not worry. (laughs) How many of you have worried about making ends meet? (laughs) Yeah, you do. How many of you check to see your bank account and your bills and say, wow, how are these going to come together? How many of you have found that even within recent months, inflation, we we just drove by a gas station and saw that diesel 
is up to almost $2.50 a liter. You know what that's going to do to food prices. And Jesus says five times, do not worry. (laughs) You might think, well, that's easy for him. (laughs) But he says this, not that we aren't to have concern. But that in our hearts we need to have a faith focused on the providence of God. A faith that is looking at God and and trusting in Him when circumstances do seem difficult. One of the things in understanding with this prayer, give us this day our daily bread and our dependency upon God and His grace is to realize what worry itself does to us. Why worry is sinful. It is a sin. Worry is an unhealthy preoccupation and overt fear that does not look in faith to God and trusting in His providence to provide. And especially when it comes to the very basic needs of life, such as food, clothing, and shelter. Worry is a sign of unbelief. That's why Jesus even comes to that at the end of verse 30, when He says, Oh, you of little faith! And whenever he used that phrase, he wasn't saying, oh, it's great, I see a little mustard seed of faith there. What he is saying to his disciples is, where is your faith? Do you not believe that I, God who created the earth, holds all of earth in my hands? Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness Thereof. As we heard even from Exodus 19, when God chose his people, he said, Out of all of the earth, I could have chosen anyone, but I chose you. So God says, All the earth is mine. Do you believe that? Well, this is where faith is put to action. It's hard. I'm not, I'm not expressing uh, anything in my own uh, right uh, as, as a pastor even to say that I have never worried. But there, there it meets us. Our, our temporal things. Look what Jesus says about our needs for food, clothing, and shelter. Uh, he's, he says, I will provide these for you. And if you doubt in my ability and power to give to you what you need, look to creation. Look at the birds of the air. And do you not see how you are of more value than they? And I provide for them, even in the midst of winter. It's always amazing how birds can find that little food dish, wherever we put it. <laughs> yeah? you, you don't have any birds in your backyard. You put out a, 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 a food dish and, and suddenly they're there. 
Do they come of their own accord? No, God is telling us here, He directs them. Solomon in all of his glory, one of the most glorious men, do you think he in all of his glory was more beautiful than that field of flowers you saw? You say no. But he makes an even greater statement here. In verse 32, when again he says, do not worry, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you will wear. The Gentiles do that all the time. Those without God are preoccupied in their life for their provisions because they don't believe God provides for them. But you, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Do you trust Him? You see, the Father has full knowledge of your needs. And again, this isn't to say that we just sit back, hold our hands and say, God, put the food on this table. We do work. But we are trusting God. Give us daily bread is not about an expected level of success or prosperity or luxury or wealth, but it is about having bread. (laughs) Having what I need. If you turn in the back of your bulletin to the larger catechism, I'm not going to read it all the way through, but it, it does express that understanding that we've forfeited the right to outward blessings because of sin, but that doesn't stall the mercies of God to meet us. And you get down there in the middle of it there where he says, we pray for ourselves and others that both they and we, waiting on the providence of God from day to day in the use of lawful means, may of His free gift and as to His fatherly wisdom shall seem best, listen to this, that we will enjoy a competent portion of them. I love that phrase. A competent portion. Father, give what I need. Give what my family needs. You understand our situation. You understand our striving. You understand that we're trying our best. Come and bless us with what we need. You know why that that kind of prayer is so important? It's because we always want more. I want you to think about Israel. What was one of the very, very first blessings God gave to Israel in the desert? When they began to sit there and worry, there's about a million people and we have all these flocks and herds and the two things that we know we need to be sustained are food and water. And you're taking us into a desert. (laughs) Does God know what he's doing? (laughs) And, And every time their need became great, How did they respond? It wasn't just with worry. It was with anger and resentment and contempt. And even when God provided for them, 
in miraculous ways. How did God provide for Israel's need in the desert for 40 years? Every day He rained manna down upon them. But even as God gave, the hardness of the heart did not enjoy that competent portion. You read in Exodus Numbers, you read and recall how Israel wanted more. We want more of the luxuries we had in Egypt. We want more meat. Numbers 11, we're tired of this worthless manna. Wow. Now, I don't think any of you are saying it that overtly. But haven't you ever sat down to a meal that someone has prepared and tried their best and it didn't turn out all that well and you have said, I can't eat this. And I don't say that to make us feel ashamed in the wrong sense. But to recognize that there are circumstances that stall us from, from enjoying more. That we cannot be satisfied with a competent portion. You know, that, that perspective is an attitude found in prosperous societies. <laughs> not in needy societies. And that's a reality. And so when we are praying this, we are giving thanks because we understand God has provided this. And sometimes we really have to ask Him to bless the food. Yeah. He does. Take that however you want. But in that provision, there's always that spiritual side. It's not just about the physical. Sometimes it is good that we hunger. Sometimes it is good that we are in want. I know as children, one of the most frustrating things is when they come and ask for something and the parent will say to them, you don't need it. And what does that two-year-old do? What does that five-year-old do? What does that teen do? It's not just limited to that two-year-old throwing a tantrum in the store because they didn't get their cocoa puffs. I've seen it with teens. They go stomping off to their rooms in anger. I didn't get what I wanted. And there's a spiritual side to this. When we are praying, give us, God, help me to be content with what is provided. It is also reminding us what God has provided for us of greater importance, which is essentially more than what our temporal needs are. Is how He has provided us with life in Christ. Give us this day our daily bread. I've always loved the booklet, the title of the booklet. There's a lot of bad theology in it. And I don't mean the one that's there with Scripture Press, but it's one that came out, uh, it's been out for generations, it seems. 
our daily bread. A devotional. Their intent is very good. They just do have a lot of bad theology. But they recognize that what we need daily more than just food on our table and clothing on our backs is we need Christ. And it's a caution. When we are praying this prayer, we are praying a caution in our lives. Lord, let me not be so consumed with my temporal needs that I neglect my life before You and do not realize that You, O Lord, are the living bread who has come down from heaven to give me life. Because that's the thing that is expected of us. That last point, what does God expect of us in this prayer? And this is where verse 33, and I know most of you have memorized this verse. This is where this verse comes in the midst of Jesus teaching about do not worry about your temporal needs. Rather, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things shall be added to you. Do you believe that? Now that, that's an astounding promise. That isn't God saying, okay, just don't work for a living. Don't have that job that pays your bills. He's not saying that. What He is saying is, in your life, seek My kingdom foremost. That when it comes time to having that new cell phone that's going to cost you another 25 or $40 a month and you look and you say, well, I still have this old one, but I really want that new one. It's so up to date. While you know that there is a ministry going on that needs to be supported. But you'd rather have this than a kingdom mindedness. That, that, that's, that's this framework of thinking. It's an amazing promise, even as we are dependent on God's grace, but God sets an expectation of us to be kingdom focused. We don't always see how consumerism has affected us spiritually. And even more, we don't always realize that what we have received from God has an expectation of kingdom focus to it. Jesus said a little further on in Matthew 10, He said, understand this, freely you have been given. What's the next two words? Freely give. And there is to be this expectation of not just gratitude and thankfulness to God, but this expectation of generosity in His name. And having a kingdom focus has that, has that attitude, I must be generous for God's sake. Because He has been generous to, to me. And that's why one of the ways in which we are going to be judged at the end of the age, we're going to stand before Jesus and He's going to say, what did you do for the hungry and the thirsty and the naked and the sick and the imprisoned? Where are those works of righteousness that that you were called to do where the Father would be glorified in your pursuit of His kingdom? And give us this day our daily bread. 
has that intent. But the last expectation of God, and I already mentioned it a few times, but it is gratitude. Have you ever asked God to bless something only then to complain about it? Bless this food. I don't like it. It comes out easy, doesn't it? Uh, I, I know it's funny, but it, it, it does. It comes out easy. Uh, I always thought of uh, one comedian who always thought it uh, an odd thing that we would go to McDonald's and ask God to bless that food. Uh, as if it could be turned into something else that would really be good for us. So. <laughs> but, but there is this, this idea of gratitude. I've expressed this before. Have you ever God asked God to bless you in your search for a new home? And you receive it, and it is a blessing. And then two years later, you complain about it and said, I never should have got it. We, we turn on a dime. And, and, and the great secret to gratitude isn't whether or not what you have received from God has all goodness to it or some trials with it. It's whether or not you are content with what He has given. Contentment is part of gratitude. Contentment is a virtue bestowed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit where we see our life is being met with the gracious providence of God, with the wisdom, goodness, and pleasure of God. And whether we find ourselves having needs or whether we find ourselves abounding, we are content because we know it's from God, it's from His goodness, not because I've deserved it or earned it, but because God has simply blessed. And I will thank Him for it. My friends, this is an attitude of the heart that can only be cultivated with the work of the Spirit and the grace of Christ. And if you want to nurture gratitude in your heart, begin with contentment. Understand, with this prayer, you live by God's grace. Undeserved kindness from a holy God. You live by God's grace in Christ. That what He has given you through His Son is of an immensely greater, greater blessing than whatever you will get from this world. And you live in God's providence. He is not miserly. He is good in all that He has given. Know these things. Let us pray.